above all and we worship you because of your awesomeness and all that you've done that you came at Christmas to be born, to be one of us and to lay down your life to save us we just thank you for that and pray that we would just open our hearts to all that you have for us I just thank you for who you are and what you've done and I pray that we would see your glory and your grace, your love in a new way at this Christmas because you are so good and we pray that we would just focus our hearts on you this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. You could please have a seat. I found this song that we're about to do actually just by Googling the word Caesar and the song came up and it just made me think of a song that belonged in a Hunger Games soundtrack. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful song but it's kind of dark and just kind of about people just trying to survive instead of really living. So if you could please listen.
Yeah, we know, not the cheeriest song to start off the service with, right? Uh, talking about how your dreams kind of really don't matter, you're going to have to work for it, that sort of thing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's true, you're going to have to work pretty hard. Um, the, the reason we uh, played that song, I don't know if you picked up on the spiritual undertones, I think they were pretty overt. They were there for you to see if you wanted to see it, but I love the ending of that song where... Um, it talks about the very idea that Caesar can take what's his. Um, but they mentioned the kingdom of heaven and how it's concealed in a field, which is right out of the scriptures. It's right out of the scriptures where it talks about that sort of thing. And that they can't rob and steal that because they can't see it. Because it's housed somewhere else. And uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's Christmas, we talk about joy, we talk about hope, we talk about peace, and frankly, um, I think sometimes those things are robbed from us, and, and, and they shouldn't be because of where they are placed, but I can understand why it happens, at, at least in my own personal experience, I can understand. I, uh, I have been staggered over the last two months as I've watched what's happening in the news uh, every week. I have watched one or two different articles on um, adults, almost always the parents, but not always, almost always the parents who have responded in um, some heinous way to either an infant or young child and killed them. It's almost like they're trying to one-up each other in the horrificness that's going to happen. I read an article last night. As I was um, getting ready for bed, I was like, let's just see what's in the news right now. And I came across an article. A three-year-old wouldn't put her pajamas on, so dad throws her into walls and kills her. I, I see this stuff, and I think, honestly, this is a thought I've had. I hope it's drugs, right? I hope, I hope there's some way for me to understand how this is happening. Because if it's just that they don't care or that they're evil, it makes no sense because those are the very people that should, you should be trying to protect with all of your heart. And yet it just looks like our culture has gone nuts. The same period of time, you can pick up and read articles where people who were in positions of power and authority over students have taken advantage of them, sometimes going cross-country with them. Guys, girls, doesn't matter. All kinds of crazy stuff is happening out there. And, and maybe, maybe you thought when I talked about the news, I was going to talk about politics. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I'm old now. And every time that I can think of the news, there's always been chaos in the politics. Always. Our world is full of it right now. 
tensions with Iran, tensions with Russia, tensions with North Korea, weird stuff going on in Venezuela where people are just trying to survive. Their dollar is called the Bolivia or Bolivia or what, something like that. 100,000 of them will buy one U.S. dollar right now. You'll have to take bagfuls of money just to buy a loaf of bread. And people are trying to figure out how they're going to survive. And you want to know how crazy our culture is? In the middle of that, Venezuela this week came up with an idea to help their culture. They're going to start a cryptocurrency, an online currency. That'll solve it all. Right? It's, it's maddening. It's crazy. And what's happened is when all of this stuff goes on, I know it's Christmas, but when you pile all this stuff up that you see going on in our world, it's easy to get cynical. And I, and I think there's a great amount of cynicism that's kind of set in in people's hearts. I was reading a, a, one of the things I read, everything I can about. So when any, anything pops up, I'm going to read about uh, marriage or relationships that are going on. I, I kind of want to see what the trends are and what people are talking about, how people are thinking about that kind of stuff. And I was reading an article on marriage this week that was, it was just bizarre. It was some of the craziest stuff that I've ever read. Um, but I, I finished reading the article, and I was curious to know what other people thought about this. Like, did most people go, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard? Or what were they saying? So I read some of the comments below, and one of the comments that caught my eye said this. What's it matter... 70% of the marriages end in divorce anyway. Who cares? Now, the problem is, that's not true. But there's so much cynicism around important values, important institutions, important stuff, that that's where we've landed as a group. We don't place much hope in anything right now. We don't have much value in anything right now. And so this cynicism kind of creeps in, and I... I think it happens sometimes in the church where you talk with Christians who feel like, ah, we just need to hold on until we can get out of here. And that's, there's a sense of why would I involve myself in this world? I just need to jet. I, I need to get out of here. And it comes from this cynicism that people hold on to and have. Now, the truth is, God's familiar with this kind of cynicism. He's seen it before. He'll see it again. And gratefully, he doesn't poll us to see what he should do. Because if he, if he polled me on a bad day, I would say, flush it. Flush it all. Right? Just wipe this slate clean. Let's start over because this is a mess. This is crazy. I, am I the only one who's had the thought, does this crazy rock have any hope? I mean, is this, is this going to turn out at all? And we have those kind of thoughts, and God knows that we do, but he's had experience with this before. He knows how we think. It's not unfamiliar to him. Uh, the thing is, uh, we, we talked about a little bit this last week. We talked about how um, Jesus was also familiar with spiritual chaos, there was a spiritual chaos that was going on in the world, and he still entered Rome. And so we kind of detailed that out. And this morning, what I want to do um, is I want to talk a little more about that, because what I said last week was that the deck was stacked against Jesus. 
And the deck was stacked against Jesus in more ways than you can possibly understand. It wasn't just that there was spiritual chaos. There was chaos in their world, too. The kind of chaos that we would look around and recognize. We would say, yeah, we, we feel that at some level, too, because of how crazy stuff is going. And you wonder, can it get any worse? Same kind of thinking was happening here. And in fact, it's revealed in the same verse that we read last week, in the first five words of Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we get the spiritual chaos that was happening in their culture. In those days, Caesar Augustus. And so we talked about Caesar Augustus, what he said about himself, what he did spiritually. But in the next six words, another chaotic storm is revealed. It says this, that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. That issued a decree that a census, that right there, kind of clues us in to the kind of chaos that the world was in when Jesus was born. Now, this this would have been really contentious. Uh, This gives us a clue as to um, one of the things that the Jews were most upset about, most angry about, gets brought up when we see this. And we know that. Because we know what was going on with a census. Now, here's the problem that we have. Uh, We all all have a census in the U.S. Every 10 years, there's a census taken. In 2020, there'll be another one taken. And what you'll be asked to do is to fill out a piece of paper. You'll fill out a piece of paper, and you'll send it in, and you'll hear commercials of people begging you to fill out your piece of paper and send it in. Oh, please do this, please do this. Because there's one primary reason why we take a census and two secondary reasons. Let's see, let's see how good you are at this. Um, what's the primary reason the U.S. does a census? What is it? Yep. No. What is it? Count people. Yeah, they count people, but why? There's one primary reason. Yeah, civics 101. What is going on here? Okay, they reshuffle your representatives based on where the population is. Every 10 years, some states lose representatives in the U.S. House, and some states gain because wherever the population shifts, because it's a representative government, they want to know where the people are so that they can properly assign representatives to represent that population. It's why Wyoming has two senators and one congressman. Because there's not enough people there to justify having another one. In fact, there's not enough that they should have a half, right? But they don't. They have one. Well, that's, that's the one big reason they do it. But there's a couple other reasons. And again, they're harmless. So we just fill out the paperwork. We send it in. We never think a thing of it. $400 billion of U.S. Um, budget is determined based on population. So when you fill out your census... Uh, Grants that go for police, firemen, all of that, um, teachers, all that kind of stuff is based on that. And so they're trying to figure out where have people moved, what's going on. And the third reason they use it is uh, they figure out trends, trends in wages. Um, why are people moving here? What's happening with this? They use all of that information. It's kind of a, a secondary usage, but they use it a lot for that. And so we think... What's the big deal? In fact, maybe you don't know this. I I didn't know this until I was doing some research. 
you can actually be fined $5,000 for not filling out your U.S. census. I've never, heard an, I've never heard an ad like that. I've never heard, fill out the U.S. census or we will show up and fine you $5,000 brought to you by your local census office, right? There's never a sense of threat with it. It's all, it's all like, oh, please do this, please do this. Why? Because they know how the money's going to be allocated and it could affect the politics, And so people are pleading for you to do that. There's one reason that Rome did a census and somebody already yelled it out. What do you think that was? Taxes. Yeah. Rome cared about the money. And as soon as you understand that, you understand that this is why it was such a contentious issue. But maybe you don't understand why. Um... It was a contentious issue, not because uh, the initial taxing was so much. Rome only charged 1% income tax. I bet you some of you would kill for that right now, right? You're like, sign me up for some of that. But wait, there's more. They also um, had custom taxes. So as you ship goods across your country, every time you went into another town, a customs agent would stop and take some money from your pocket It was not unheard of for your cost on the stuff that you were shipping to double by the time it reached its end point. There were import-export taxes. There were tolls for crossing certain bridges or roads. Um, There were uh, property taxes, poll taxes. There were special taxes. And the special taxes would have been happening because Augusta was expanding the empire. And as he did that, he needed more money. So there would be taxes for his wars. And they would show up and take money out of your pocket. Now, here's the thing. Um, The Jewish people probably could have lived with this because Rome let them continue to worship. They continue to have their temple. They continue to have all that. But they started taxing them so heavily that something started to happen that just graded the souls of Jewish people. They were paying so much in taxes that they were unable to pay their temple tax. You're like, well, why, why was that important? Well, the temple tax was something that they wanted to pay. It was how they greased the wheels of their society. There were groups of people, the Levites, who didn't have income, but they got their income through the temple. The temple was repaired and kept, kept in shape because of that, allowing the rituals to go on, and the poor and needy were supplied through for all of this taxation. And, and because they were paying so much, they, they couldn't find a way to pay the temple tax. And they were so angry about it. They believed that it was a sin for them to pay their taxes to Rome. That's how strongly they felt about this. And so you've got, you've got all of this chaos going on, disrupting all of this stuff. And it's not just how much they collected that, that was going on, but it's also how they collected. Um, Jesus is actually going to refer to this. Uh, hold on, where am I? I'm so old, I don't like it. Oh, there it is. Um, Jesus is going to refer to this because this taxation thing was such an issue. Um, and there's a section of scripture in Luke chapter 3, verse 13 where a group of tax collectors come to him. 
And they've decided to turn over a new leaf. They want to start living in a way that honors God. And so they ask him, what should we do? And what he's about to say is about the system of how they collected taxes. And this is what he says in Luke 13, 3. Don't collect any more than you are required to. That's what he tells them. The next verse, a group of soldiers ask him, what should we do? And Jesus looks at them and says, don't extort people. And, and what you're getting is the system for how taxes were done. Rome would tell the governor, I need X amount of taxes out of your province. The governor would then assign people in all the cities and provinces in his territory to start collecting taxes, and he would say, at the end of the year, I need X amount from you. And you can collect a little extra to make your wage, that's fine, but instead of collecting a little extra, because people hated them for collecting taxes in the first place, they collected a lot extra. They lived luxurious lives. They would bribe. They would accept bribes. They would extort. They would um, inflate the, the valuation of the stuff that they, the customs. They would say, oh, your goods are worth this when they weren't, so they could take more off the top. And they, they were stripping money off the Jewish people. Now, again, it was already so much, and then they were doing that on top of it. This was causing so much anger within people. But two of these, two of these taxes were collected in a really special kind of way. The poll tax and the property tax. And the property tax was especially contentious because in, in Israel at the time, you would pay off your land, and then you would hand it down to the family, and you would hand it down to the family. And so this family would be in your household for hundred, hundreds of years at times. And then Rome captured the nation of Israel and came to them and said, this land is ours, and for the privilege of you being on it, we're going to show you some mercy. We're just going to collect a tax from you. And so the only way for them to do this was a census. They issued a census, and they would actually show up on your property, and they would rock walk your property, and they would determine how much property you had, what shape it was in, what it could support in terms of commerce, and then they would assign a number to it. Now, now listen, Th this is how this happened, and, and you'll understand why they assigned the numbers. Um, Caesar would tell a governor, I need X amount in property taxes. And this one was a little different. Instead of going out and hiring somebody to go and collect that, he would put it out to auction. And people would bid for the privilege to go collect the poll and property tax. Why would they do that? Well, the governor put it out because here's how much he had to give Caesar. And if he got a bid this high, he would keep this chunk himself. And people knew that, hey, I, I've got to pay this much, and if I'm going to go through all this work, I'm going to actually do this, and I'm going to keep this amount. And so the properties were being evaluated at high, high levels. I was at a conference in June, and they were talking about this process. There are historical documents who talk about what happened during a census. What happened during a census 
was that somebody would come into your property and set an evaluation up here that you would have to sign off on and agree to. And the reason you didn't want to do that is because you could barely make your payments. Your your family was going to have a hard time surviving. You couldn't pay the other taxes to the temple, and so you would resist it. And so the census was full, and get this, of torture, violence, and threats to your family to get you to sign that document so they could extract the money they needed out of you. That's what was happening. See, we... We see this little clue in the scriptures that there was a census, and we think it's like ours, right? We think Joseph and Mary come sauntering into Bethlehem, hey, right up to the table that they've got set out with a nice linen, right? He's got a little file cabinet there. He's like, hey, my name's Joseph. This is Mary. Can you see she's got one in the bun? You can't charge me for that yet. (laughs) Uh, Hey, hey, I've got a file of all my properties here. I've detailed those out. That should go pretty good for you. If you have any questions, let me know. We had to travel a long way, so we're intending to turn this into some sort of vacation. So we're going to be on our way if you've got everything you need. No. On their way there, they would have been afraid. They would have been afraid at the kind of violence that they were about to face. They would have been afraid at the valuation that was about to be set way up here that would have put them in a difficult spot as they paid all of those taxes. How are they going to do everything else? How are they going to take care of everything else? And have you ever, have you ever had a week in your house when somebody is just really grumpy, right? They're just grumpy and grouchy. And you can survive that unless two people in the house are grumpy and grouchy, right? Because when they meet, it's fireworks. And it's, a, it's fine when it's not you. You get to sit back and watch it like, wow, this is good. Where's the popcorn, right? But when it's you, you don't like it so much. Now imagine, just if you would, the whole country feeling this way with a sense of bottled up anger and despair Because you're extracting more out of me than is just and is right. And I know you're going to put me through some sort of violence to get me there. They would have been angry. This is not some fun trip home. You're about to be put through the ringer. And you're angry about it. Now maybe if you step back and you look at that situation, you would think to yourself, this would be a good time for a Messiah to show up. That this would be a good time for somebody to show up and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you. And it, it would have been, except here's the problem. Almost all of the people wanted some sort of rescue from the taxation and the presence of Rome. They wanted a political uprising And Jesus didn't come to bring some sort of political uprising. He didn't come to set that right. He came to deal with the hearts and minds of mankind. And you can see this. Um, We actually find this question about taxes being brought up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. They brought it up as a trap. They're going to ask him, should we pay taxes And if he says, yes, you should pay pay taxes, they're going to look at all the Jewish people and say, he supports Rome. Everybody should hate this guy. 
If he says, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, then they were going to run over to the Romans and say, we got a guy out on the street saying they shouldn't pay their taxes. You better go deal with this. They set a trap. And what did Jesus say? He said this. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they went away wondering how in the world did he just get out of that trap. Well, he did it because he hadn't come for the reason that was on everybody's mind, the Messiah that they wanted, the Messiah that would have been great, would have been perfect, would have been somebody who showed up to deal with that injustice of taxes, who dealt with the injustice of having their country occupied, which makes you wonder, why? Why send Jesus right then? Because he was the Messiah. He was come to save. He came to rescue. And yet the only thing that was on people's mind was the political solution because they were so angry about it. So wouldn't it have been better to just wait and let that pass? Let's get past this until we can speak to the hearts and mind of these people because they're so bent on this. I think the reason that Jesus came right in that moment was because his message was to the hearts and minds of mankind. And it was intended to step in to a really contentious and terrible moment and help people realize there is an opportunity for you to find hope, peace, joy. Even in the midst of all of this stuff, I think the need was so great, he came anyway. Can I tell you? History holds out that his message actually found its way into the hearts and lives of people that it really made a difference in. But how, but how we know that is pretty scary. Because we know, we know that followers of Jesus were later paraded into theaters, coliseums, where they released wild animals to tear their bodies apart in front of people for sport. But you know what was reported about those people? They had a sense of peace that people did not understand. And it was just like that song that we heard at the top. It's because what Jesus came to bring intended to place something at the core of who you were, are, the who, who we are, that cannot be robbed, cannot be stolen, cannot be removed because of the world that we live in. But I want to tell you, that's really hard, at least, at least from my experience of things and looking at the stuff that we're going through in our world right now. It's hard for my focus to be on the internal stuff that God's done for me and not the external stuff that seems to be happening in our world or to me. And yet this is Christmas and it's the message of Christmas. That when God came, the world was full of chaos, anger, bitterness. There was violence at the time. The whole thing was on fire. And he stepped into that knowing that if you'll respond to me, if you'll listen to me, if you'll listen to the message that I have to carry to you, I can come into the center of who you are 
and bring a peace and a hope and a joy that nobody should be able to understand that you possess, that nobody, based on what happens on the outside of your life, can remove from you. They can't rob this. They can't steal this. It's yours. And because I know your world's on fire, I'm going to step into the chaos and I'm going to offer you the only hope that you really have. It's me. And so he came in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of all of that cynicism and anger. And maybe it's time to remember that he's here for you now too. Maybe you've become a little cynical about the world that we're in, that you've looked around and said, I don't know if there's any hope at all. Maybe you just don't feel it right now. Maybe it's time to rediscover that Jesus, the message that he brought was about how it would change you from the inside out. And maybe it's time to tap back in to that God who deeply loves you, who deeply sacrificed for you, who did that in an order to change your orientation in here so that no matter what, nobody could rob you out there. That's, that's our story. And as we celebrate at Christmas, I hope it becomes your story too. Let me pray for you. Yeah, we can't help but notice that um, our world just seems to be rocked right now. Our hearts are saddened by that. But if I were honest, I would say sometimes my heart is downcast by that. And instead of having a sense of hope that you can make a difference, I just feel like, what's the point? And the truth is, you intended to change that kind of thinking, that kind of living. That no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in, you want to be at the core of it, reminding us that our hope lies in you. That we have joy because of your sacrifice. That we're loved. That we can step into a world that's on fire with a sense of peace that boggles the minds of people around us. Jesus, you're the source of that. As we celebrate you at Christmas, I ask that we would help, that you would help us find that again. That we, we would grab onto that and that would become a central part of the way that we live. That instead of being cynical and shaken, that we would be people who loved, saw places where hope could be, and experienced your peace. God, we ask for that. We ask to experience what you came for, what you offered to us. 
May this Christmas season be unlike any other as we notice the chaos around us. Remind us that you came into chaos. Not, you're not afraid of it. And you bring peace and love and hope and joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you please stand and sing with us?